This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. To talk about ways the online learning development still needs to be leveled out as far as its playing field for all of uh, the students to benefit equally. We will be joined by Palomino Jama, who was recently recruited to join a COVID-19 task team by Dr. Blade Nzimande. Now, thank you so much, Palomino, for joining us on the COVID report. In your view, has this been the best route and has it worked? Thank you for having me. Ah, gee, so COVID-19, I don't think we've ever had anything like this before. So it's very difficult to say what would have worked best. But one thing I can say confidently is that online learning was never the solution. Um, It was never going to cater to the majority of our people in the sector, um, which are the poor and working class. Um, So I think 100 days in, as you say it, um, with the first institution going online on the 20th of April and the others joining in now later in June, it was never the best solution and there's very little that the government can do or students themselves. Indeed, it is a very trying time in the sector and the inadequacies and the inequalities are plain to see for the naked eye. Now, as far as um, the task team that you were recruited to join by the uh, Dr. Blade Zimande and uh, the goals that that task team set out in the beginning, when we, when, when we look back at the past 100, and, uh, 100 days, how much do you think has been achieved of the goals that you set out? Uh, so I think they were, what the trust team was able to do very well. So firstly, the trust team is a multi-stakeholder trust team. So it will have student representation in the form of myself and Tabo. Um, it also has workers so in the form of Nahao and, and academic sort of unions. So I think the, the setup was really good. So it showed that the minister wanted to get buy-in for, for whatever sort of response he'd have for COVID. Now, at the very sort of onset, the, the trust team... Uh, agreed on a set of principles that we were to deploy whenever we sort of agree on things. And one of these was that while we try to save the academic year, we must save lives as well. And the third was that no student should be left behind. And these were principles that I was very happy that we all established because it's things that we can sort of bind together with. Um, So when we saw the the, the minister sort of, um, he was very slow in announcing when the academic calendar should resume. And this is what led to your Wits universities, your Stellenbosch universities, your UCTs, sort of implementing their own things. So the minister was quiet from when he told students to go on an early recess, and he just sort of said nothing. So your Adam Habibs of the world took it upon themselves to announce their own plans, which at the time, the department wasn't convinced would be the best solution. And we saw this when Deputy Minister Mutima Namela, who's also the vice chairperson, who's also the chairperson of the task team, he went on, on Twitter and he, he sort of hit at, 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 at Wits and Adam Habib saying that the implementation of their plans would, would always leave the poor students behind. But look, a couple of months later, we see that what Wits had implemented very early on, as early as April, is exactly what the department is now sort of deployed as well. So the idea that if you just buy laptops and you give students data, then it should mean that online learning is okay. So I think the principles we had established at the beginning that had the buy-in from all stakeholders and the department as well, and Butimanevela included, sort of, sort of died down because now we see that what he was calling out at the beginning as early as April is exactly what he's sort of co-signing today. So a definite disconjunction between plans and institutions in the way going forward. But has the push, the big push to save the academic year come at the expense of students at the end of the day since you, as yourself mentioned, that they're now co-signing to a plan that may necessarily not be all 
inclusive. We think of Cape Town, the University of Cape Town, which offered students a hundred percent refund if they dropped courses. So what is, how do we recover the academic year, but not leave students behind? Because the plan as it exists currently seems to be doing that, leaving students behind. Yes. But so I think one thing we needed to be honest about is the fact that we are in the middle of, of, of a pandemic and our country, uh, given our healthcare system, uh, it, it's going to struggle to respond to this pandemic. And I think that's one of the things that we should have known. And, and it's something that we should have been okay with to say, okay, so what does this look like? What does, what does a year of, of, of losing the academic year look like? What, do, what does that entail? I don't think this is an idea that was sort of... Um, really looked into. I mean, there were academics who came forward with plans to say, look, at this time, it should be the case that university students plow back into, the, into their communities, using the expertise they have currently to see how they can assist their communities mitigate some of the challenges that may be brought forward by um, COVID-19. And they were going to sort of bring in this idea and we would be able to be academically credited for that work. Um, so if you're a social worker, you'd see what your profession can do to uplift your community and that would be sort of, you would be credited for it. Um, and it was a different pedagogy altogether, one that would respond to a pandemic. So a lot of academics weren't for this idea that we're just going to take what we would have um, in contact learning and sort of just take it and put it online and hope everything sticks. And I think one of the, the biggest problems I have with how we look at this a problem currently is we have this idea if, if we have gadgets and we have data then it means students can do this thing and I and for me I, I always say this in a country where less than 20 percent of its students graduate within record time you know it, it, we don't have a very good throughput rate um, in this country so it, it, so ordinarily students struggle um, with learning and it means it's, it's not just a, a, a gadget issue there's a there's a systematic issue and students really just struggling with their work so I, I think for me it's deeper than just throwing gadgets at this thing. It's deeper than just trying to get the work done and saying, okay, tick, we did year 2020 as an academic year. And I really think the department had the responsibility to protect the investment made by, 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 by taxpayers' money in the form of NISFAS. Because now NISFAS uh, is going to pay as high as 3 billion rand purchasing laptops, which will only most likely arrive in September. Now, by September, we know that the academic year is almost over. So for me, there's very little investment, sort of protection of the investment, because really the money plowed into municipal students is an investment. And when you can't protect that investment, we're wasting taxpayers' money. And I don't think there's been a lot of thought behind the decision that we're making as a task team, firstly, but also generally as a student movement, too, and three as institutions. A very complex issue riddled with nuances that can't be ignored whenever the topic comes up. And I think we've seen a lot of the, the nuances play out in the discussion over what can be perhaps viewed or perhaps argued as the haphazard way with which the Department of Education handled the possible return of school children to classrooms at, uh, at a at a primary and high school level. When we take it to tertiary level now, Palo, as far as the plans um, discussed and the, pl and the plans cooked up to uh, reopen universities, in your opinion and in your view, is it the right time for universities to reopen? And is the phased approach that's been applied to the reopening of educational institutions the best approach? And are universities ready to be reopened across the entire country? Sure. So I think when you put it in context of what's happening in the rest of the country and what else has been opened, you, you sort of can't deny that universities should open. Um, and, I, and, and I have a, 
have, have a bigger problem with how the government is choosing now to sort of open up almost everything. It doesn't feel like we're in a lockdown anymore. So it would be, it would be pretty strange to say to a university student, you can't go back to school um, and, and, and make use of the resources on campus so that you can better pass, but you can go watch a movie and you can go do your hair. And, you know, it, it would be a, diff- a difficult thing to argue. So I think um, under level three, the department had no choice but to say students should come back. Um, now, do I agree with this? No, but I think in context, it makes sense. I don't think that at this point, anyone should be grouping in any form. Um, I don't think that this country is taking COVID-19 seriously enough. And as we hit the peak, I think we're very close to 100,000 cases now. Uh, and, and I think things are going to get really, really bad. Um, but I do think when we start allowing students to come back to campus, the priority, the priority group should be those students who are in such remote areas of our country that they can't access network at all. So you can give them 100 gigabytes of data, but they'll never be able to access that network. So I think that should have been the first group that was really, really prioritized by all institutions. The second group should also be those who are in sort of unconducive uh, environments at home where it's, it's virtually like just impossible to learn. That should have been the second group. So anyone who struggles with online learning, even if they have all the necessary required sort of gadgets and, 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 and data, um, but still can't do this online learning thing from home, should have been allowed to come back as a priority group. What we see there is with, from the departmental guidelines um, is that they were sort of like, sort of, it's like a number six. And then maybe you can bring these ones in as well. You know, it wasn't really made as, and stressed as a priority group. And I have a problem with this, but I know it fits, which I'm very proud of. I had a conversation with Dean of Students Jerome September and he was saying how at VIDS, they made it a, it, it was one of, the, one of the priority groups was LGBTQI plus um, students who at home really can't, can't be at home anymore and their mental state wouldn't be in the, in the best place for them to achieve. So they were able to bring in that group of students um, to come back to campus at university reses, um, as well as your, near, your, your, your nearby South Point. So I think that's something that Fitz University should probably speak more about because it's really good work done. You know, as much as we fight with these institutions, when good work is done, we must also be able to acknowledge it. And I hope that other universities can take the same approach moving forward. So in your answer, you touched briefly on the mental health of students. And mental health has always been a battle in institutions before the pandemic. And one would expect that it is only going to get worse. In an interview with the CEO of Higher Health, He shared that it may be the shadow pandemic that faces institutions when they reopen. Are universities, in your opinion, in your experience with dealing with university students, are university university institutions prepared for this? And are they equipped for this? We've seen CCDU, we've seen, but are they ready? So whenever I look at the sector, I always try to look at the, the, the universities that are more well-off to see how, like, are we close to getting the answers that we want? And if I, and if I take this as a model, which has an entire, like, campus clinic and then a separate wing, which is CCDU, which is specifically catering to the mental health of students, and I see like the challenges that come from CCDU and how even if a student is not happy with, 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 with what's there, um, it then makes me worry for other institutions would struggle to even have a campus clinic, you know. Um, and I think one thing that's assisted me in, in, in leading in, in a national structure is to see how things that are like so basic to like a VIT student are like non-existent at a University of Limpopo, for example. Um, and, and I think on that front, when I look at it as a sector as a whole, um, I don't think that universities are anywhere near sort of being able to, to deal with mental health issues. And now you put a dash of COVID in there and it just becomes worse and it's a nightmare. But I do know that higher health has sort of programs that they believe are going to make a difference. Look, for me, I, higher health has been there way before COVID. And 
I don't, the average university student doesn't even know what higher health is, you know, and, and when you read higher health things, it almost makes you feel as though they do all of this work. Um, and, and I don't think it, it, it reaches the people that it thinks it reaches. Um, and, and that concerns me. So when I, I can hear the best plans coming from Dr. Ramnik, I can hear them over and over again, which, which we do. He can send the most brilliant proposals, but if the work doesn't reach where it needs to get to, then, you know, you're not doing very much. Um, and, 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 I, and I don't know what the answers are to men, mental health issues because, they, look, like I said, even in a university like Vitz, which has its own sort of clinic that's specifically designed for that, we still have hiccups there. So I, I really don't know in higher in high education what, what that looks like, how we begin to sort of solve it. And I don't think maybe higher education can do it by itself. Maybe we need the Department of Health to become a little bit more involved in taking mental health seriously generally in campuses um, and in society as a whole. And I think once the Department of Health takes mental health seriously in the country, uh, those programs and, and initiatives will probably also feed down into sort of your university students as well. How much do you think is going to be demanded of us, the, the citizens of the country, involved in whatever sector we may be involved in, as well as those that we've elected into power? And how, how much is going to be demanded of us? How much is going to be demanded of them? And how much is going to be demanded of us all together as a compact effort to combat this pandemic? So COVID called on South Africans to sort of bind together and sort of like take responsibility for yourself so that you don't harm everyone else. It was sort of a thing of, listen, if all of you listen and do the right thing, we may survive these things with little fatalities. And what South Africans then did was the exact opposite. South Africans just decided, like, if you go out now, like, if you count every 10, 10 people, you, within 10 people that you see, only two are wearing a mask. I mean, I'm seeing the craziest things on social media about, like, how people are joining together to have parties and, and, and you know. So I think what COVID is showing us is that South Africans have no sense of, like, this compact that you speak of. There's no like national unity. You know, we see this with G GBV, like GBV, then there's racism. Um, and then there's just really just generally not caring about anyone else but yourself. And this is, this is sort of an ethos that needs to change within the South African society because we won't be able to do anything or achieve anything as a country if none of us have this loyalty or sense of like responsibility to our country. Um, I think post COVID for the sector, for me, I think as much as we hate online learning currently, and look, I only don't like uh, online learning now because it's because it was rushed, right? So whenever something is rushed, the proper mechanisms um, are not put in place, meaning that some people will just not be able to participate or some people will do dismally, like dismally generally. Um, but when given enough time to sort of come up with proper methodologies to be used and pedagogies to be used online, getting everyone devices, getting all of the work that needs to be done to have sort of distance learning done. There's an opportunity because South Africa has a problem of lack of universities. We don't have enough universities to sort of uh, provide for all um, matriculants. And if we can begin to have distance learning institutions like UNISA, more of them, we'll probably be, be able to to cater to more students and we need that. Um, so I think post-COVID, we see that it's possible, we can do it. Um, it just needs a bit more work on it. Um, and I think that would be one of the gains of COVID. I think secondly, I think another thing that I liked about it is this idea that we don't always have to like travel around to have like interviews like this. Like I didn't have to leave Centurion now to come to Bromfontein to take this interview. You know, I think I like that idea as well. I think it, it forces us to say we don't, unnecessary travel, cutting costs. I like that idea. Even parliament, you know, parliamentarians spend a lot of money um, traveling around. I know even from South, 
I spent a lot of money moving around from campus to campus. Um, and I, and I, there was actually never a need for that. We could always have these things virtually. So I think post-COVID, we'll be able to see new realities and new norms of how we do things. And hopefully South Africans see that there's a need for them to bind together at times. That It's not always about the South. And sometimes you can't do things in little silos. You kind of need to come together um, or else we all die. Um, and, I, and I hope that that's a message that we take away as South Africans. We've just heard from Palomino Jama here on the COVID report, talking us through the online learning developments. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1 or streams via www.varfm.co.za.